The subject for the evening talk is depth of feeling. <coughs> you could turn it down just a shade. Thanks. Last uh, um, autumn time, I was in uh, Geneva in Switzerland, and I was lending an ear on the UN conference which was taking place there, which was concerned with the uh, environment, the global environmental uh, situation. And while there, I was speaking with a UN official, and we were discussing the situation of the United Nations, and I'd just like to uh, speak, take a moment of a political point here, and how many views and opinions, of course, are expressed about this uh, very large body. And he said what people do often forget is that the United Nations is nothing in itself, but it, in fact, it consists of its member states. And the member states consists of its members and its delegates. And in the months subsequent to this, there has been a tremendous amount of uh, international publicity because of the Gulf War with regard to the United Nations. And we have heard the rhetoric from our political leaders with regard to the significance and the role that the United Nations should and can play, and particularly from the US uh, uh, president. And I remember a piece of information which was given to me by this UN official, and I think it's not an untypical situation. He said to me that the member states owe the United Nations something in the region of $635 million in dues which are unpaid. And this it hampers immensely the potential and the work of the United Nations. And then he said, of this figure of $635 million, $585 million of it is owed by the US government. And one hears the rhetoric of information which is provided and by our leaders, by the leaders uh, here. And sometimes we see that the rhetoric and the language which is actually being used ha has very little real interest in bridging the gap. And thus, other situations, in this case the, the UN, and it might be many things in life, become subservient to the framework of self-interest. And that is really what the issue is. It is self-interest. And thus the motivation which is at work is at odds with the information which is provided. And I think quite often p in political world and in other worlds as well, well, it's sometimes, and I find it useful for myself, when I hear such things and when and such circumstances, particularly political leaders and many others, one might prefix everything which is said with we are led to believe. 
And I think if one wishes to investigate and inquire into, into life, what we sometimes notice is the communication, the language, leaves a gap. And it's this gap which I want to speak about this evening. The gap between our way of being in the world, the language and the experiences, and other things which are happening inside of us. And it's very easy, it's all too easy to get so uh, used to living in a gap and generating that gap and the deceptions which take place for oneself and uh, for others. And sometimes, and, and the larger social levels, just take a moment here, the larger social levels, I think it's, one has some responsibility here, if one is interested in global issues, political matters, to actually inquire and to investigate. And anybody who thinks they are being informed through the media is already in a deception and is living in a gap. And if I may say, I'm speaking to you as a former uh, news reporter who covered issues around the world, including the war in Laos, there is a gap. And one has to go further and deeper. And you have some fine people in this country who are prepared to inquire and to investigate, to show the deceptions, the hypocrisy, to actually show that gap. One of them, of course, is not so far away from here in Boston, who must be regarded as one of the fo foremost dissidents in this country, and that's Noam Chomsky. People who are prepared to look deeper into things than what is superficially presented. This situation like that is grossly and subtly repeating itself in numerous situations. And sometimes I think what happens with us in the way when we live with these gaps in life and not looking for perfection in life, but we li live with gaps, we sometimes see the object, who we were discussing this a little bit at a very refined level this afternoon in the inquiry, sometimes we see the object itself matters unto itself. It's the object which counts. Rather than perhaps exploring the whole relationship. And we need in any level of our life, personally, socially, nationally, internationally, I think we need to have this sense of looking wholly at the situation. And so if we take a, a small example uh, at a political level here, I think many people made a huge mistake in focusing on the oil as the primary reason for the Middle East war. I think it's much more about the relationship and the relationship is much more about control. It's much more about power over. It's much more about domination. And the inner psychological responses and intentions influence the relationship to object, to people, to the quality of life. When I was in the UN, the United States government sent a very, very, very low-level delegation to that conference. What was their intention in doing that? Because they're not interested in global situations and environmental situations. 
So there we take that as a, an example. I think and it's important for some people to be concerned with these examples. And then see to where are the gaps that we experience? What ways, what ways does that show itself? How does that, how does that reveal itself in the day-to-day -day of elsewhere and being here? Today, for example, I received um, some uh, two pieces of, uh, of in information. And I think one of the things which, not totally unrelated, and one of the things which occurs with us is when we look around us and we take the immediacy situation, very easily and very understandably, we can perceive a gap. In other words, we look around us and we see there are X number of people here. In that, we view other people in a particular way, particular ways, and then we view our experience in a particular way. And quite frequently, it could appear, either to those of you who are here for the first time, or those of you who've been here before, it sometimes it can appear that there is a gap in one's experience and the experience of other people. There's very little information actually being revealed, small groups reveal some of course, but very little information actually being revealed. And even when it, it is, it may seem like others' experience of being here is obviously so different from mine. So instead of the capacity to look wholly at a situation which is never an easy undertaking. What we look at is from the standpoint of self and other. My experience and what others' experience is. And so sometimes in the forms of experience which take in place, we say to my, one is saying to oneself, is it just me who's experiencing like this? Is it just me with all this what's going on inside of me? The others look so peaceful, calm, <laughs> in the, practice, serious, deep, or whatever. And these thoughts are arriving, ar arise, arriving and arising again and again. And there's some belief in the thought, a belief in the thought which makes it, again, go from a fiction to a fact. Because the gap is assumed to be the truth, Others seem to be getting on better than I can. Others seem to be able to do it better than I can. And that view just keeps feeding the gap, feeding a separation between oneself and humanity. Are we going to live believing in the fiction of this gap? Are we going to use our life, our thoughts, our feelings, our views? Are we going to sustain our prejudices for and against, for and against ourselves, for and against others, and continue maintaining that gap? Just think of the consequences of humanity for believing in this gap. Yesterday, one of the staff pointed out 
in the Boston uh, um, newspaper. And this evening, I would like us to have a loving-kindness meditation uh, in the closing period of the uh, last sitting of the uh, evening here together. And there's a report in the paper in the Boston Globe and it said that on Saturday in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where the uh, largest, um, second largest Buddhist monastery, Buddhist temple in the United States is located, which gives support both to Thais, Laotians, people from Kampuchea, and uh, people of the United, Nation, United States, of course. And it said that somebody entered into that temple and shot and killed six monks, two novices, and an elderly nun. There was no sign of anything being st uh, stolen or any damage done to the property. There was also no sign of any resistance that those six uh, monks, that the two novices, one of whom was a, a young 16-year-old American, and his grandmother, who was a nun, were found in the monastery, assassinated, lying side by side. And the police are completely perplexed and cannot understand what possibly could have been the intentions, what possibly could have been the motivations to uh, kill such people. Is it racist? Is it, re is it religion? Is it that, that rage for inexplicable reasons which haunts the lives of individuals and this is the consequence. And so sometimes when we look and perceive gaps, not only gaps as it were in our relationship to others and the way we, we perceive others and, and feed into the, the gaps, feed into the beliefs into the ideologies of differences and all that goes with that. But also, of course, there are gaps inside of ourselves as well. And sometimes we experience in times and days like this some bridging of the gap. We can say when we sometimes we feel to be in touch with ourselves, in touch with our experience of life, and very importantly, in touch with some of the depths of feelings that we have, the, the deeper sensitive uh, human feelings towards oneself and towards the life that we live. And then sometimes it seems like there's a loss of access and we lose touch with the feeling element and the thought realm or the spaced out state or the indifferences or whatever it may be happen begin to dominate and it's very, very easy, and there's a certain, I think, danger for human, human beings in losing that genuine day-to-day -day accessibility to our feeling life. Feelings there, which the deeper intimate feelings of life which need to be nourished, need to be felt, needed to be responded to, needed to be connected with. And we can charge our life with so much else. We can make our life so preoccupied, so busy, so, so full, that it's as though we're living in a, a constant state of neglect. 
So what sometimes we notice in this relationship of the world of our, our feeling world, shall we say, in our thought world, I think it's too much to ask to think of ourselves with our feelings and thoughts that one precedes the other. But certainly the influence of one and the other takes place again and again. And so sometimes we look at ourselves and we say to ourselves, I'm a, a thinking type. Another person describes himself or herself as a feeling, as an emotional type. And that may not change. One of our very close friends, Henrietta and I, who has, written, who has done many years of meditation work, who was a monk, Buddhist monk, for more than a decade and had written some fine books on Dharma teachings. He said, he once, he once commented to us, he, he, once, he once said, I've done all these years of meditation work and looked into myself and looked into my relationship to life. And with all the insights and the understandings that have emerged out of that, he said, I am still an intellectual type. <laughs> and he said, people still think of me as an intellectual type. And all the practices haven't changed that one iota. But I feel completely okay with it. So in a way, it's not that we're looking in ourselves when we, way we regard ourselves and treat ourselves as trying to do something with our personality which goes against the personality as such. Not trying to become less of this and, and more of that, but to have access to ourselves to see where is the gap. What way does that show itself in our life? Sometimes, as you point out, sometimes the thoughts become incredibly preoccupying. But in a way, it's not the thoughts, the streams of thoughts which are running out of the brain cells, which are really the preoccupation so much. I think it's more the content that goes on in the thought. We get preoccupied with what we're thinking about. This preoccupation is connected with time, past, present and future, and our world becomes a world formed out of our thinking. And the uncanny element of the thinking sequence that's going on is that we tend to think that what we think about is an objective thought about. We, we, we regard the, thing, the thought as a kind of clear-minded, detached observer who really knows what's going on. <laughs> and sometimes it's only the collision of thought and the confusion out of the, con out of the collision which then says to us, God, what the hell is going on? I have really no idea. <laughs> but as long as the stream of thought seems to have a single track to it, and it's got, as it were, a life of its own with continuity to it, and we're thinking, thinking singularly about something, that lends itself to the idea, the impression, we know what we're thinking about. <laughs> we think we know what we are thinking about. And one wonders, how can this 
strange little event or events or sequence of them called thoughts ever know anything about anything? How can the word ocean ever say anything about the ocean? How can the word sky say anything about the word sky? How can the word truth, thought, say anything about nature of things? So in our fascination with the thoughts and with the stream, the contents of thoughts, we get swept along and as though, it's very important this, as though the thought had its own existence. As though what we are thinking about was independent of everything else. Therefore, with thinking itself, there's a gap. Thinking on its own generates a gap, generates a distance. Look at the number of lovely ideas we have to do with our life. I mean, do we need any more proof of it? Look at the lovely thoughts that arise and say, when I leave here, <laughs> I know what I'm going to do. People have been coming here and saying that to themselves for decades. <laughs> thoughts arise, a nice idea that go along with that thought, or the thought arises, an unpleasant idea, it might be like this, it might be like that. And in the very time, as we were talking earlier today, in the very time that the thought is arising, it's disconnected. It's like moving through space. And we've decided to hop on to this train of thought and just go along with it and it just leads us off into <laughs> God only knows, not even God knows where it goes. And then we get the occasional reminder, one of the common ones is this. <laughs> oh, yes, life on earth, I remember. <laughs> so, is, what, what way, what possibility is there for us to somehow, as it were, bring the thought, not to dispel the thought, not to have a kind of meditation lobotomy or whatever, but <laughs> to find what way can we, as it were, connect thought. We hear so much about cutting off thought and, and getting rid of thought and stopping thought and the cessation of thought. We've heard this for generations amongst the, the religious wallers. But rather than that, what thought needs to be connected with? What it has to be integrated with so that thought serves us and rather than leads us off into abstractions and tangents. Surely one of those components must be feeling, it must be perception, must be awareness, must be the sense of being in touch with things immediately. Surely thought has got 
to be connected with the whole body of experience and not be a diversion or an abstraction from it. So perhaps when we're, when we're moving along in some train or stream of, of thought, and sometimes we recognize the gap that goes on with it. And sometimes the content, the flow of it stands out. We know what the train of it looks like, so to speak. I mean, you might ask yourself, what's the feeling right now? What's the feeling that was connected or is connected with that stream? Where is that, where is that feeling? Factor. Where is it coming from? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it somewhere in between? Am I willing just perhaps once just to, to, to really, really stop in the moment of the stream of thinking and ask what the feeling is? And is the feeling unknowing, unbeknowing to us actually feeding the thinking? We haven't even known it. We've neglected it. We've forgotten it. And another factor which links thought to the whole human being and therefore to the whole of life is, is the intention which is going on with it. The content becomes an infatuation. Living, spending years, literally years of our life lost in thinking. Disconnected, abstract, as I said. So it would be interesting what the feeling is, so to link the thought with the feeling. What's the intention which is giving support to that way of thinking? What am I really intending with this way of thinking? What am I really trying to get at when I'm thinking in this way? What kind of motivation is, is really there because there's somewhere in all of that, that movement or that train, there's, there's some motivation going on? Do I want to go on nourishing and feeding and buying into this motivation, into this intention? Sometimes all of that takes for us, it takes some, some work for us. It's no easy uh, situation for a human being to really face her or his life and to really look at the very bare existence of it and to cut away the involvement in the content of things and saying, what's really going on here? Sometimes our thoughts are there, of course, are very helpful. Sometimes the thoughts have a certain power to them, a beneficial power, and that can show itself quite spontaneously. Sometimes we just find ourselves rather quietly reflecting on things, reflecting on the way our thoughts give meaning to life, give purpose to what we do. Sometimes we wonder what it might be like just to allow that sense of purpose in life, that sense of meaning in life which we adhere to and stick to so strongly, what would it be like just to let that kind of just drop away, just fade away. To not have any 
purpose, don't have any meaning, to not have, a, have any clear intention. And so everything rather comes to a stop in a way, it comes to a halt in a way. And sometimes when all that, that minding, so to speak, does drop away, there's no sense of purpose and reason, no sense of reason for one's existence, no way of explaining any of it. And sometimes we're rather left in a kind of unfamiliar emptiness. We've got nowhere to go, we've got nothing to do, and nothing to accomplish, and it's rather empty. Sometimes pleasantly, the feeling is a pleasant aspect of that. Sometimes it's unpleasant and we endeavour to accommodate the pleasantness or the unpleasantness which gives a kind of colour to that sense of emptiness. And sometimes those deeper qualities of a human being then begin to matter. Patience, acceptance, a humility about life. And our mind, our, our thought, our conceptual world, even our deeper reflections of, on things, just doesn't seem to be able to get a handle on it. It's as though our brain can't explain. We know what we're feeling in that time. We know there's a certain stillness, a certain emptiness. And we know that our mind wants to come in and address that, to fill it up, to make it more understandable to us in some way or other. And we're willing to say, let, let me leave the mind out of this. Let me leave all my knowledge and all my reflections out of this. But it has served its purpose, but here it's in an area where it cannot go. And one doesn't know what that means, and doesn't know what the significance of that is. One can never communicate that. It seems in a deeper element of the, of the human being, the life of the human being, as it were, comes out of that emptiness. So the feelings are a deeper level, they emerge from that. The perceptions emerge from that. The awarenesses emerge from that. The thoughts emerge. And in a way, therefore, our day, our, our hours here, I think are a very precious opportunity for us. As it were, to almost to lay aside our life. To just 
on the meditation cushions here just to allow it to be in a way which it's not my life and not my struggle with my life and not myself trying to do it right or get it right but rather it's not belonging to me in any way it, as it were the whole event is belonging to the whole event and it's not mine and it never was and in that way we don't even have to concern ourselves with surrender or letting go in a way even that applies some ownership in the first place and we've never had that privilege so when the person wrote a note today person it's an unsigned note it says Christopher can you address the, the question what or where is the proper outlet for feelings here I can't imagine that the, I'm the only one who is experiencing some uh, angst, some anxiety, but I don't see anybody else expressing it. Remarkable. <laughs> of, course, of course, I know, important here, I know that doesn't invalidate my experience, but this I know in intellectually. Am I the only one who is feeling this way? which in itself is troubling? Or is it that other people are not troubled by their feelings or are able to meditate them away? <laughs> <laughs> or, is it that, see, or is it that other people are only having good feelings? So sometimes I think very you know, understandable, as I m mentioned before, there's unfoldment of everybody's life which is taking place in that unfoldment the duality arises self and others as the expression of it the duality creates a sense of separation a sense of gap and that gap makes the difference in the feelings we smile when we hear such uh, notes and yet we know we could have written the same note ourselves. And yet the feeling element is the feeling element. It's common to all, the thought is common to all, the body sensation is, is common to all. And somehow we get blinded by the content. And when we're blinded by the content and blinded by the, the type of sensation we make the gap. Can we, in our heart of hearts, finish the gap? We realize the end of this gap and realize the end of this divisiveness which goes with the gap. that when we look at other people around us we can say in our heart of hearts when we see another person or persons that that is myself that, that feeling, that thought, that perception 
in a different name, in a, a different form, in a slightly different content or whatever. We've actually realized something that all life belongs to the nature of things. And it doesn't belong to us individually. And every thought, every wandering mind, every time we space out, every unpleasant feeling, every unusual experience or whatever, every unfamiliar event which takes place only shows to us that life is not belonging to us. It belongs to the nature of things. And there's no gap in the nature of things. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live in harmony. Let us have a few minutes quiet period together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.